Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Well, we certainly live in interesting times. The protests continue across the country, and they continue locally. As a general rule, in Milwaukee, I think the peace, the protests have been peaceful as a general rule. There are, of course, exceptions. We're going to talk about those over the course of the show. But by and large, you haven't seen the, the rioting, the looting, the degree of arson that you have seen in other cities, at least up until last night, and that you've seen on a regular basis out, out in Madison, where um, civilian authorities, it seems to me, pretty much lost control of the, the city. You have the mayor who waited days and days before speaking out against violence. Now she's getting on board. You have Governor Evers, who's been completely, in my opinion, AWOL on the whole question of, of law and order. He comes out with a video statement yesterday where he calls for empathy with regard to the protesters. And it is completely and totally appropriate. And, and, and we need to have, I think, empathy for people who are upset with the conditions that led to what happened in Minneapolis. At the same time, it is frustrating that you have a governor who doesn't appear to feel a desire to call for empathy for the people who are innocent victims of the lawlessness which has arisen in the wake of the legitimate protests. You know, it's interesting. As I'm hearing the governor talk about the need for empathy and things, I, I really was thinking, where where is his empathy for the people whose businesses have been shut down for the over the course of the last you know several months who are trying trying to keep their businesses open or trying to reopen them and trying to hire people back and now you have all sorts of things that have happened that, that put them even further back I, I was thinking of that as I was watching the news I was watching Fox 6 last night and there's a local restaurant in in Glendale it's on Port Washington Road just south of Hampton it's a it's a restaurant called called Solly's and Solly's has been an institution. I, I have been going to Solly's since I was a, was a kid. And it, it's interesting because it, it's been, it's a multi-generational family business. The man that runs Solly's now is a guy named Glenn Fieber, who is a friend of mine, Vietnam War vet in the small world category. Back in the day when I was practicing law and private practice, Glenn's wife, Mary, was my administrative assistant. So you know, we, we go back. It's a great little restaurant hit really hard by the the government rules and the evers shutdown you know can't be in business can't have people you know into the business and of course that has not been you know hasn't been helped out by again some of the other things that have gone on but there was a protest march that that went down port washington road two nights ago and somebody some jack wagon takes a brick and throws it through the front window of of this business of solly's restaurant 
th- throws it through the front window, and it, it's this—it's not just an ordinary window. I mean, I think they were saying the, the estimates are it's like ten grand to replace this particular window, and maybe it's covered by insurance, maybe it's not, but it doesn't make any difference. It's like, all right, here you have this business you know, that's that's doing nothing, that's not contributing to any sort of problems. You just have a small business owner who employs people in the community, trying to figure out a way to keep his business, which has been down 60%, he says, over the course of what, what's been going on, and, and somebody, somebody throws a brick through the window. Okay, tell me how that advances any sort of cause. And, and yes, we need empathy for the situations that have resulted in some of the systematic racism that exists in this world and in this state and in this region and in, in various, city, various cities. But we also need some empathy for people who have been complete and total made victims themselves through no fault of their own. In any event, in contrast to Madison, which has been a disaster night after night after night, a little bit better yesterday, but still overall disaster, I think in Milwaukee we, we, we have not seen the type of lawlessness resulting from well-attended protests that you've seen in other places. Part of it, I think, is because you have protest organizers that, by and large, have been able to keep control over the people that have um, you know, turned out. They, they've denounced violence, and they get credit for that. Part of this also is that, in contrast to places like Madison, you have had local law enforcement, sometimes without the vocal support of, say, the county executive or the mayor, but you've had local law enforcement, which has made a concerted decision to say that we're not going to let stuff get out of control. And, I mean, it's no secret, if you're a regular listener to this program, um, you know, Ernell Lucas, who's the Milwaukee County Sheriff, he wasn't my first choice. I think Sheriff Lucas has done a very, very good job of trying to balance the right to legitimate protest and not wanting to escalate situations versus the need to say at the end of the day, we're going to maintain some degree of law and order. We're not going to let anarchy reign. I would say the same thing about Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales, who has taken a, a position, again, we're we're not going to sweat the small stuff, okay? The mayor puts in a curfew of 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. We're not going to aggressively enforce that. We're not going to start throwing tear gas at people and making people go home at 9 o'clock. But at the same time, we're not going to lose control of the streets. And I think both the police chief and the sheriff deserve some credit for that. Which brings me to something that happened yesterday that's getting a lot of attention and becomes very, very controversial. Yesterday, you had a large group of protesters, by this I mean a couple hundred, who decided that what they wanted to do is they wanted to leave the city streets and they wanted to march on the freeway. And they wanted to get on, you know, if you think about downtown Milwaukee, you've got 794, which connects from the downtown area to the Hone Bridge, which then, you know, heads south. You can see the Summerfest grounds, etc. So what happened yesterday is you had a large number of protesters who decided that they were going to walk onto the freeway, getting on 794 with the idea that they're going to walk on the freeway and then cross over the Hone Bridge. 
And essentially, you know, once you do that, you you completely you, you completely shut down traffic on the freeway, and you put all sorts of people's lives at risk: the protesters, anybody who might be on the freeway. Not to mention causing a huge inconvenience. If you're parading down a particular city street and people need to get through, well, there, there's ways you can do it. You can you know you you can go down a, a different street if people are blocking. 24th Street, and you can go down to 27th Street. Or if people are blocking 27th Street, you can go down to 36th Street, you can get around. Once you have people getting on the freeway, it is a completely different dynamic. So what happened yesterday is after several hundred marchers walked onto the interstate and then headed south on the Hone Bridge, they were met by law enforcement. And, you know, they were... They were dispersed. There was tear gas that was used. They were dispersed, and they were driven off the freeway. There were some arrests made. Very unclear whether there's going to be charges or not. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I think the protesters have, by and large, behaved in a responsible fashion. I think law enforcement has, in a general response around here, behaved in a restrained and responsible fashion. So last night... Law enforcement would not allow protesters onto the freeway and then over the Hone Bridge. I have no problem with that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think there have to be limits. And you know, taking over the freeways is one where I think you've got to draw the, the line. And it's if people decide that they are going to, you know, turn the freeways into their private parking lot, wandering down there, I think law enforcement has every right to stop and say, okay, this is no, you know, off the freeways, turn around, go back, go into downtown, whatever. But I have no problem with not letting people onto the freeways. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It becomes not just a hassle, but it becomes a danger, a public safety problem. People want to protest, that's fine. If people want to march, that's fine. I think you draw a line when it comes to the highways. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think both the Milwaukee Police Department and the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department have given the, the protests of the last week, they've given the protesters a, a lot of rope. They, they've given them a lot of leeway, and I don't have a, a problem with that. And as a result, I think the protesters have, by and large, been well-behaved. You know, you have some of these jack wagons who are throwing bricks through windows, like we talked about in just a minute, but that's that's been a, a small percentage. So that they've had a lot of leeway. I do think, though, there's times that you have to draw a line. Yesterday, you had a couple hundred protesters that decided they were going to march down 794, the freeway, and then try to march over the Hone Bridge, and they were met by a show of police that didn't allow them to do that. Yes, they used tear gas to disperse the crowd. I don't have a problem with that. I think you have to draw lines, and one of the lines is we're not going to allow people to stroll down the freeway in large groups. Joe on the south side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. You know, I agree with you. They have no business on that damn freeway. That, that, you know, that's almost ridiculous. And I, you know, like I told your screener, I'm a Democrat, but I'm going to tell you right now, the way things are going, the African, 
African-American community is going to take a loss on this thing because all the good people, and there's a lot of good people there, but they're letting some of these guys at night throwing rocks through windows and they're looting. And they are young African-American males. Now, well, it's not know, just African-American males. Like it's white males that are doing it, too, and it's white females. Well, I mean, this is, this is the vandalism is broad. Guys, yeah. yeah, but a lot of those guys aren't even from around here. That's true. I agree with you on that. But the thing is, this thing is beginning to backfire on the whole reason they did it. You know. Well, it, well I, thanks for calling, Joe. I mean, no, I mean, see, I, I see now. I, I, I mean, there is a fine line. At some point in time, I, see, I think in general, most of us. First of all, I think everybody looks at what happened in Minneapolis last a week ago Monday and has to be appalled by that. And 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 I think most of us understand that you know things like that to the extent we're going to talk about this a little later to that ex- the extent that that represents some some flaw of the system. You know, we need to make changes. And I, I think most, if not all of us, I hope are are sympathetic to that. People should not die in police custody under those sort of circumstances. And and actually, I mean the the way you do affect change, and I, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. I mean, I remember all those protests and stuff, and that is one of the ways you call attention to things. Now, this is a more nebulous sort of thing. You know, what what exactly? You know, what, what exactly are we trying to accomplish? It's not like, hey, we're protesting to end the war in Vietnam. So this is more nebulous. But nevertheless, I I, I, exp- I understand that there is a lot of outrage that's out there and people are expressing this. And, and I'm all in favor of this. But I agree with you to the extent that you have, I don't know, people that decide, hey, we're, we're going to move this off of the streets onto the freeways. We're going to um, have a, a small percentage, but still nevertheless a percentage of people who are going to use the the, the protest as an excuse to riot and loot and, and break in. And there's, i got a story I might talk about a little bit later about how they caught all these people in some of these shoe stores. And that, that it was like, let's, let's go shopping. Here, it, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, we're in the shoe stores. Let's see how many expensive pairs of shoes that we can end up stealing. And I appreciate that's a distinct minority of the number of protesters that are out there. But to your point, I, I, I do agree that the more... The more that goes on, the more it becomes a self-defeating premise because, you know, m- most, most people, and I don't care, I don't care whether you're white or black or brown or green or, or whatever, I mean, most people, I think, are going to look at this and say, hey, this, this, this looting, the burning, the arson, the destruction of businesses, businesses, by the way, owned by white people, black people, Hispanic people, um, and, and all sorts of other people, you know, all those different businesses ending up getting looted and vandalized, you know, it's it detracts from what is the major purpose. Derek in Milwaukee. Derek, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, hi, uh, one, I wanted to thank you for uh, hi, uh, characterizing most of these protesters as peaceful. I think that's they important are. and that there is a reason for the anger. So I think uh, we definitely agree there. I just wanted to add to the conversation. Um, you know, I can see people being angry about the, the freeways, but there was a second gas attack on a city street yesterday that was covered by local reporters, some of whom are asking for body cam footage because there was allegations of Molotov cocktails that right. people there did not see. So I would like to bring that into the dialogue as well, that there wasn't just the, this, this freeway issue. Um, there was a pretty, what some consider pretty aggressive on tape uh, scene on Milwaukee city streets by police gassing their own residents. And as a veteran 
of our, you know, foreign wars, I uh, personally know that uh, these gas, the Geneva Conventions does not allow um, even for these kind of gassing. So mm. it's something that is not just to be taken lightly, I think, uh, in the broader context of what we're talking about. So I'll leave my comments at that. And no, oh, well, th- thanks for calling. No, you're, you're, there, was a, there was a second. You're, you're exactly right. What happened is the, the police say somebody threw a, a, a Molotov cocktail, which is a, a bottle filled with gasoline that you stick something and you light it. So it, uh, it, it did not go off. And, and that, as a result of that, they then used tear gas to disperse the crowd. People say, well, we didn't see a firebomb. The police say, yeah, because it didn't go off. And, and, that's, and that, that's all a matter of it's under investigation. Again, I think in general there, there has been restraint used by the, by the police, and by and large the, the different protests have, have been peaceful. So I, I think tear gas is something that you use as kind of a last resort. At the same time, though, I, I go back to my basic premise for this, you've you got to stay off the freeway. And, and I really have no sympathy for the people that were decided they were going to do that and the people that led them onto the, the freeways here. Um, Jeff, I think they needed to be there's a, we got a number of texts. Jeff, they needed to be stopped. They should not be on the freeway. It is dangerous and it is reckless. Jeff, it's illegal to walk on the freeway. I agree with the sheriff for pushing them back. Jeff, what happens when an ambulance can't get through and someone passes away? Who ends up being held responsible? Jeff, did we not learn anything from the tanker truck almost running over hundreds of protesters in Minneapolis? Impromptu freeway protests are too dangerous for all involved. Yeah, that was the story. If you remember it yesterday, I think it happened two days ago, but what happened is there, there's a truck that gets on the freeway and almost hits a bunch of protesters. And the police do the investigation, and it wasn't somebody trying to run down protesters. It was somebody driving a truck that's driving on the freeway, not expecting to see all sorts of people walking down the freeway. And so you had all this. Look, the bottom line is I think restraint needs to be appropriate. In Madison, we're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes, I think local officials completely and totally lost control of the streets for several days. That has not been in the, the case in Milwaukee. I think the protesters deserve credit for that. I think the police deserve credit for that. But there are limits. And to me, again, one of those limits is if you decide to take it from the streets of Milwaukee and start to parade down the freeway, law enforcement, whether it's the Milwaukee police or the sheriff's department, has to say enough is enough. They did that last night, and they did the right thing. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Thanks for joining us. As Eric was just telling you, uh, CNN is reporting that the Minnesota Attorney General's Office which has taken over the investigation of the the death of, of George Floyd. They um they this is according to CNN. They have reached apparently a decision in connection with whether or not there will be criminal charges brought against the other three officers. Of course, you had the one officer who was directly involved in the death of George Floyd. The putting his knee on the man's neck for for eight or nine minutes or however long that lasted. He's already been charged with third-degree homicide, third-degree murder, and manslaughter. The other three officers on the scene who just sort of stood by, 
they've they've been all been all been fired. So all of them are off the force. The attorney general's office has now made a decision with regard to charging, at least according to CNN. Haven't announced what that decision is going to be. Um, I'll have some comments on it. I, I really I, I can't predict. I, I understand that there's a lot of people out there who think, well, obviously they should be charged criminally. It's a little bit more complicated than that because, uh, again, bringing criminal charges requires you to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that people were involved in, in a crime. In the case of the police officer who was kneeling on his neck, it's, it's very, very clear that that's what was going on finding appropriate criminal charges, and I don't know if they're going to do it or not, against the other three police officers might be a little bit more problematic, but we'll wait to see what their decision ends up being. All right, now Dan Bice from the Journal Sentinel had a really interesting piece in yesterday's newspaper um, after after the show ended. I, I saw this. One of the, the groups that has been at the heart of the Madison protests and and as we have talked about before i think if you want to give credit to the protesters in Milwaukee and the police response i think everybody gets credit for keeping things largely nonviolent madison has been the complete opposite situation you had very little input from the governor you had almost no input till yesterday from the mayor and, and the streets of madison burned you know you had the same businesses on state street vandalized day after day after day there was the looting and it just it went largely unchecked by a political class in madison that apparently is afraid to condemn those people who go farther than just the lawful and legal protest and engage in the looting because heaven forbid we we don't want to hurt any of the looters feelings i guess so one of the groups at the heart of the protest is this group called freedom inc now according to to bice um the state that would be that would be us either in terms of federal money federal grants that the state hands out or state taxpayer money records show the state has awarded contracts and grants were $3.6 million to Freedom, Inc. That includes 876000 in federal grants awarded by the State Department of Justice since January of 2019 when Attorney General Josh Call took office. The State Department of Children and Families has paid out 732000 to Freedom, Inc. under Governor Tony Evers in the past year and a half. Um, and that's a large percentage of their budget. The budget for the whole organization is $3.3 million. The woman who runs this, the co-executive director, her salary has gone from $52,000 two years ago to $104,000 in, in 2018. Okay, now this, this group says they're trying to achieve social justice through coupling direct services with leadership development and community organizing. Okay, that's that. That's all well and good, but it, it's beyond that. This is a, a political organization, and as part of what has been going on in, in Madison, the organizers of some of the protest organizers, including members of Freedom, Inc., for example, the co-director of Freedom, Inc., the woman I was just talking about who... Um, making $104,000. Here's some of the things that, that she's saying. This is um, the other night. In terms of rebellion, people are going to rebel until they're not going to rebel. That's all I will say uh, about it. 
And then they go on to talk about how what their goals are is they want to um, people view, uh, again, the people who were in the streets as youth freedom fighters who were in the streets. Um, When asked about the violence, all actions against racist state violence are justified, and we will not minimize these contributions to liberation. Let me read that again. One of the people with this Freedom, Inc. says, Our organizations will not denounce any black person's display of grief and or rage. All actions against racist state violence are justified. All actions against racist state violence are justified. Let's let that sit there for a minute. So we want to burn stuff down. We want to throw rocks. We, we can do anything. And we will not minimize these contributions to liberation. All right. The group is calling for a list of demands, including defunding the police department and instead investing in anti-oppression efforts and life-affirming infrastructure for black people, freeing all inmates at the Dane County Jail and abolishing police powers in favor of safety structures that support oppressed people. I don't even know, and this, by the way, is a group that is getting hundreds of thousands of dollars in in taxpayer money to support it. I don't even know where to start with this. And I I don't, I mean, I guess the easy one is to say, hey, this this is a group that thinks, you know, violence is justified in in any form. Well, okay, that's that's so kooky. That is so kooky and so beyond the pale that I'm not sure that there's any point in discussing that. But this is a group, and there are other people out there that agree that what we should do is essentially... Do away with the police force. Let's let's defund the the police force because they view, in this case, Madison of all places, they view the police force as an occupying force and believe, I guess legitimately, that the world would be a better place if we did not have police that were out there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I'll be the first to acknowledge that you know what we've seen over the last week demonstrates that we have perhaps a long way to go when it comes to police community relationships certainly in, in some communities but this notion that we should defund the police department let's get rid of the police 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line what would happen what would happen in our urban areas well i guess suburban areas too but let's let's just talk about urban areas what would Madison be like if we really did what this taxpayer underwritten group, Freedom Inc., is calling for, which is defunding the police department? Would that be a community that you would like to live in? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. A world with no police force, would that be better or worse? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I swear I'm not making it this up. This this group out in Madison that is largely funded 
through taxpayer money funneled to them by Tony Evers and or Attorney General Josh Call. They're, they're at the heart of a lot of the Madison protests, and they are out there, number one, defending the, the vandalism, defending the violence, defending destruction of property as being a contribution to liberation. Okay. They are also calling for the police department to effectively be eliminated. Let's defund the police department. Oh, okay, what do you think would happen if you really did away with the police department? Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. I think it would be complete chaos. It would be anarchy. It would be exactly what you're seeing where, there is, where the law is and is not um, and is not really, you know, I mean, they're kind of letting things run its course. Um, or you could just go to any country, or not a lot of people are going to go to these countries because you don't go to them because they're not tourist destinations, but where there is no law or the law is corrupt and see how bad it is. And uh, that's but, but, the but one don't reason you no, but but Joe, don't 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 you understand? See, the the view of some of these people in Madison is that we we need this new world order, and if we didn't have the oppressive police that were, I don't know, in in the in the streets, you know, doing whatever it is they do, the world would be a better place, and we wouldn't have crime, and everybody would be getting along, and we could all just sing kumbaya. It's all the cops' fault. That's that's the other thing. How anybody could possibly even imagine to bring that up to think. Possibly, I mean, there's no way they seriously think that that would be a good idea. There's no one with that's it's that's not in, that's not locked up in some sort of room with a straitjacket on would think that that would possibly be a good idea. Well, th- thanks for call. Well, there, I, I appreciate it, but at the same time, you know, th- th- this is the mantra being preached by one of these organizations that, like I say, is getting hundreds of thousands, over a million dollars in, in taxpayer dollars funneled to them. Yeah, that, that is their ad. We want the police department defunded. They are defending the, the violence that has gone on. All right, if, if, it's, just, if it's just property, who, who cares about that? It is a contribution to liberation, and apparently the police are viewed as this occupying force. I'll tell you what would happen. I mean, if, if, if you want to you talk about, like, life-imitating art, you do away with the police department. All right, in, in any communities, and by the way, in saying this, I, I understand. I started this. There, there, there are issues with police-community relations. I understand we have a long way to go, but at the same time, you do away with the police department, and you know what you should see? Go watch the movie Escape from New York, because that's pretty much essentially what happened. You know, they, they, the plot line of the movie, if you haven't seen it, is they make the decision that we're we're just going to build a giant fence around New York, and we're going to just let anybody do what they want to do inside of of new york and then of course you know that that's going to be the whole deal but then you 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 can't go outside of it so i mean i i don't know about you but i don't want to live in a world where you you don't have law enforcement and a justice system that is implying order and if you think that's going to make things better well i mean be be careful let's see jeff even star trek had security and and a brig jeff i'm speechless that that's all Jeff, basically these people are inciting riots, government-sanctioned domestic terrorism. Jeff, how does that help minority communities that are already blighted with crime? Um, Yes, Jeff, the spike in domestic violence deaths in Milwaukee this year is well-documented. What do people who want to abolish the police suggest a victim of domestic violence do when they are being beaten, threatened, or shot at by the spouse? Uh, Well, their spouse. Well, it's, it's not just that. I mean, if you look at... 
if you look at crime, and again, I, I'm a law and order guy, I'm, and I'm a law enforcement guy. That is my approach to these, you know, different things. And and I, I, I appreciate that you know there are social conditions which contribute in part to to crime. I, I get it. I understand all that. But once the crime has occurred, once the person is shot, once the person is attacked, once the store is vandalized, once the home is robbed, at that point in time, you need the police to instill some sense of social order. And if you don't think that's the case, we're just going to sing Kumbaya, for goodness sakes, that, that that's fine. See how long that lasts. Let's talk to Eric and Racine. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Wow. My mind about exploded in my car when I heard that. Uh, <laughs> no way. There's no way we can go to no cops because that's that's like inviting the wild, wild west back in when it was the wild west where people yeah. would um, take the law in their own hands, kill a bunch of people, vigilante yeah. style and everything else like that. That's stupid. No well, it, you know, thanks for the call. Well, no, but it, it's all about liberation. I mean, again, I'm I'm going back to one of the spokespeople for this group. That, by the way, did I mention that they get over a million dollars in taxpayer dollars? Our organizations will not denounce any black person's display of display of grief or rage. All actions, all actions against racist state violence are justified. So anything that anybody wants to do in response to the fact that they're upset over the death of George Floyd in in Minneapolis a week ago is justified. And we will not minimize these contributions to liberation. So throwing a brick through the, the small business that's trying to dig out from under, you know, the, the closed because of coronavirus, that is that is a contribution to liberation. Running into you know, liquor stores and, and seeing how much booze you can carry out. Looting pharmacies, taking as much prescription drugs as you can steal, breaking into cell phone stores and ripping off cell phones. Those are contributions to liberation. Breaking into shoe stores and seeing how many shoes that you can steal is a contribution to liberation. (laughs) This is the spokesperson for this group that is getting all this dough from us taxpayers. Thank all the youth freedom fighters who were in the streets fighting last night and Saturday night. Every action is a contr- is a contribution to liberation. I mean, this this shows how whacked out some people are. And, and by the way, th- this is the type of thing that you want to talk about counterproductive. I think most reasonable people, regardless of white, black, brown, whatever. I think most people look at, you know, what happened in Minneapolis a week ago Monday, are appalled or disgusted, and and believe that justice needs to be done. I think most of us understand, like I was saying at the start of this segment, that when it comes to police-community relations, we we still have a a long way to go. Now, later on in the program, I'm going to share some numbers with you that, that actually might put this whole thing about the police oppression in a somewhat different light. But but there's no question that, you know, there, there's a lot of detrust, distrust, particularly between minority communities and, and police forces. So I understand we have, we have ways to go. But this idea that the police are going to be the enemy, and more importantly, this idea that just anything, anything should go um, is fine. Go out, vandalize, do whatever you want to do. And by the way, 
to some of these people who want to endorse the violence and the things like that, a lot of the stores across the country that have been vandalized, not just in Madison, not in Milwaukee, and like I say, it hasn't been as bad in Milwaukee, but a lot of the vandalism that went on in, in Minneapolis or New York or Atlanta or all these different places, a lot of that vandalism was directed at businesses owned by members of the minority community. So that this is, it's, it's just, if you're fighting in the war for liberation, okay, go on in and loot that cell phone store owned by the African-American woman who's trying to make a better life for herself, her family, and try to be somebody who's bringing up the community by providing jobs and providing places for people to go work. It's just, it is mind-boggling to me that you have some of those groups that are out there promoting this craziness, and yes, it is craziness, and it's even more mind-boggling to me that we are supporting some of these organizations in their missions through the use of taxpayer dollars. And, and, yeah, I know this group got some money over the years, but now that you see its true colors, the idea that Tony Evers and that Josh Call, the attorney general, would be funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars to an organization like this tells me uh, that they need to wake up and they need to figure out, okay, yeah, we, we want to help with you know communities, particularly communities that are oppressed, but maybe this isn't the best group to give all that dough to. When we come back, is this the worst year ever? Or is at least, is this shaping up to be the worst year in most of our lifetimes? We'll discuss in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have an update. Um, Eric Bilstadt was reporting earlier that the Minnesota Attorney General was going to be announcing decisions as to whether the other officers who were on the scene um, when George Floyd died at the hands of, of police, whether there was going to be charges against them. Uh, here, here's what the Minneapolis Star Tribune is saying. Let me quote the story. The Attorney General, and again, the Minneapolis Attorney General has taken over the, the prosecution of this case. Um, the, Minis- the Attorney General, Keith Ellenson, plans to elevate the charges against the former Minneapolis police officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck while also adding charges against the other three officers, according to multiple law enforcement sources. Ellison, that's the Attorney General, um, according to sources, former officer Derek Chauvin recorded on video kneeling on Floyd's neck as he begged for air will now be charged with second degree murder, updating it from increasing it from third to second degree. The three other officers at the scene um, will also be charged with aiding and abetting second degree murder, according to sources. Uh, the first officer was arrested last Friday and charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter. Uh, one of the officers, Fowl, was recorded watching as Chauvin continued to press on Floyd's neck with his knee. Um, Kang, K-U-E-N-G, was one of the first officers on the scene and helped pin Floyd down. Lane, that's the third officer, was detailed in earlier charges as pointing a gun at Floyd before handcuffing and later asked whether officers should roll Floyd on his side as he was restrained. So at least the reports are that the three police officers will be charged with aiding and abetting, which is a form of conspiracy, essentially. Um, this, I think... I take no position on whether these charges are appropriate or not. All right, I, I don't have 
all the details of, of who did what. Obviously, these charges will, I mean, hopefully satisfy some people. I mean, one of the frustrating things uh, about some of the demonstrations has been that this idea that, you know, people are calling for, you know, no peace, no justice. Well, I mean, the, the police officer directly responsible for the death was, was charged right away. So th- there's, there's your justice. All four of the police officers were, were fired. So there's, there's your justice. And when we talked about this a couple of days ago, some people were saying, well, you know, once, uh, the, the problem is that they haven't charged all the officers. And, and once they do, the, the protests will stop. I, I don't know that that's going to be the case. But now they have charged all the officers. I, I will tell you the difficulty of this, and I've seen this before. Sometimes there is intense political pressure to bring charges to calm things down. For example, if they had made a decision not to issue charges, it would have just, I think, set off a whole other round. It would have been fuel to incite you know, more lawlessness in, in Minneapolis. And so there's obviously a sign of relief, I think, that in some respects, okay, these officers have all been charged. And, and that's, that's all well and good. I will say this, though. If you know, keep in mind when you bring charges like this, you accept the burden of responsibility. If you're the state, you've got to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And I guess the question always becomes, you bring the charges, and that's fine, and that, that pacifies the situation for a while. But then what happens if, at the end of the day, you're not able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these other three officers, to, to me, whether it's third degree or second degree or, or whatever, that, that the charges against the, the officer whose knee was on his neck, th- those are a no-brainer. I mean, he's he, he's going to be convicted of, of something, whether second degree or third degree. This isn't going to be a trial. This is going to be a guilty plea in some way, shape, or form, I would expect. The, the prosecution of police officers under apparently a theory that you didn't do enough to restrain one of your fellow officers that might not be as clear-cut as people think. And I'm taking no position on this one way or the other. I'm just saying that let's remember today, because these decisions clearly serve to calm things down, if in fact this is the decision that's made, at least in the short term. But, But what happens if... Once you present all the evidence in court for some of these other officers, it turns out that you're, you're not able to convince somebody of guilt, a jury of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Does that reignite all this stuff five or six months from now? But again, right now, the decision appears to be all four officers on the scene will be charged, charges upgraded against the person directly responsible for the death of George Floyd. And then the other three officers charged with aiding and abetting, largely, I think, for their refusal to stop the first officer. So there we go. When we come back, I want to talk about 2020 so far. Stick around. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, one of the, the things that, that's out there that's such a weird disconnect is if you look at a lot of stuff that's going on in the world, whether now, of course, the 
the the tensions and the protests and the violence and the looting and all that sort of stuff that's that's kind of pushed the the pandemic that we've been obsessed about over the last couple months onto the back burner no, nobody's really talking about covid-19 too much anymore and maybe we'll go back to that or maybe this has been that this has been the thing to drive that off the the front pages but one of the things that's interesting is when the pandemic first broke out you saw a huge plunge in the stock market. Remember, in like early to mid March, you had you had the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which was over twenty nine thousand. You know, drop to like twenty thousand, and you had you had people that were talking about, okay, this is the time. Let's get completely out of the stock market. Let's figure out, you know, what what do we do? Do we do we buy gold? Do we put it under our beds? How do we do it? And it was a rough couple of weeks, but now what's happened is is the stock market is coming back. I mean, it's been up and up and up, and today it's up another 450 points. It's over 26,000. That's the Dow. And you might say, well, my gosh, I mean, you've got all these protests and you've got all these concerns about there's all these people that are unemployed. How, how can it, it be that way? How can the market be, be having a continuing rally, and, given all the turmoil that's there? And on one hand, it seems crazy. How, how can how can the market be coming back given everything that's going on in the world? But but it, at the at heart, it, it's not because the the stock market at the end of the day, the, the market cares about you know one thing and one thing only, and that is how is the economy doing and what are the future projections looking like? And I think. You know, one of the things that they're starting to, to see now, and at least a lot of the investors believe, is that the, the measures taken by the, the government, not just the government in the United States, but the governments across the world, that are, are largely, they're, they're working. And I think at least the, the investors, you know, looking at the big picture, think that, oh, okay, you know, things, things are coming back. Don't know how quickly they're going to come back. To me, I think it's going to be a long time before you know we come close to where the employment levels were. You know when this whole thing started, and I don't know about you, but I, I'm I, a number of businesses that I used to patronize before all this. They've already re- announced that they're not nope, not opening up. There's a couple little stores within about a mile and a half of where I live, and my wife and I were just driving past a couple of them yesterday, and she said, see, I, I loved going into to that store. Well, well, they've, they've, they were closed because of the government orders because they weren't an essential business. They're, they're not reopening. They just can't make a go of it. Another store down the way, the same thing. So there, there are stores that are you know, going out of business, and I don't know that we've still fully seen the impact of a lot of the, the closings caused by Number one, the pandemic, and number two, the, the government response to pandemic, which was essentially we're going to close down a huge chunk of the economy. But at the same time, people feel optimistic, and um, at least in the stock market, another good day on Wall Street. Uh, the Dow Jones up 456 points, NASDAQ up 72. All right, so even though the market might feel good about this, it's it's been a hell of a year. I can can I get an amen on that? It, it's just it's been a hell of a year. You have you have political turmoil, and and whether or not you are a diehard Make America Great supporter of President Trump, or whether you believe that that President Trump is the devil incarnate, there's been I just there there's just been everybody's been on kind of their their last nerve 
when it when it comes to politics. And I, I think that that would be that would be fair. People who are Trump supporters look at the coverage that the president gets in the media and looks at the people on the other side and goes, I can't believe people feel this way. People on the other side go, I can't believe that there's anybody who would ever consider voting for Donald Trump. Don't you realize he's fill in the blank? And so you, you've got all that that angst that's going on there. And we've always had angst involving you know politics and presidents. I mean, I, I remember I remember doing the show. You know, during the, um, when, when we had, you know, the, the overseas wars during the, you following 9-11 with, with George Bush. I mean, I, I, I can remember that. And of course, I'm old enough to remember, I mean, I grew up during the era of Watergate. I can remember all that sort of stuff and, you know, and how people felt and the protests about Vietnam and all that. But so now, now you've got a very polarized electorate. On top of that, you add in the pandemic. And, you know, you, you want to talk about a stressful situation. You have, you have the government that's closed businesses, shut down large chunks of the economy, and created an incredible degree of, of economic uncertainty moving forward. On top of that, you have people who are worried about getting sick and dying. You know, to the point that we're, you know, arguing about what's the significance if you wear a mask or not wear a mask and all that. So you've got that going on. All the stress of you know, dealing with the pandemic. Then on top of that, you build in what's been going on for the last week or 10 days where you have unrest in, in the, the streets of this country and the, viol- the legitimate protest and, and then the violence. And on top of that, we are looking at a, I'm depressing myself. We are looking at a summer unlike any other, just, just around here. What are the things that we look forward to in summer? Well, we look forward to being able to go out and socialize. We look forward to going to ball games. We look forward to going to swimming pools. We look forward to Fourth of July celebrations. We look forward to ethnic festivals. We look forward to church festivals. We look forward to the state fair. We look forward to Summerfest. We look forward to all these activities and large group gatherings and going to the fireworks shows and all that. All that is off the table. None of that is going to happen this year. And, you know, we don't know what the fall is going to look like either. But none of those large group gatherings, short of protests, are going to happen this year. So you've got all that. And then, all right, for people who are looking to do things in the summer, for, for the kids who, uh, you know, get summer jobs, all right, that, that's pretty much off the table now. For, you know, and that that's one of my concerns moving forward. You have all these... You know, people who are on their last nerve, it's, it's just a raw, the, the, everybody's nerves are, are just raw. And then on top of that, you add in the fact that you're not going to have the normal opportunities you have during the summer. And, you know, you, you just wonder what what's going to happen. How are people going to react to that? So with that discussion, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I was not alive during World War II. And I understand during World War II, people who lived through that made just in, incredible, not just the people who were the greatest generation who was fighting World War II, but the people on the home front. There were shortages, there were sacrifices, things like that. I understand, you know, in, in the Civil War, you had this country completely and totally torn apart as you had, you know, the Union fighting Confederacy. So this isn't the Civil War, and it's not World War II. But at the same time, It's been a bummer of a year so far. My question is this, and there's a story that got me started thinking about that. There's a 
a piece in the Wall Street Journal today. The headline is, I've never been so afraid for America. The pandemic, the racial crisis, the recession, it's enough to make 2020 surpass 1968. Is this shaping up to be the worst year? And you can define worst however you want. Is this shaping up to be the worst year of your lifetime? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The article in the Wall Street Journal says you've got to go back to 1968, which was a very, very seminal and divisive year if you were alive during 1968. But it says you've got to go back to 68 to have anything close to 2020. Is this the worst year ever? Or is at least this the worst year in a long, long time? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. I don't know if it's the absolute worst, but actually, I, I can't think when you look at all the stuff going on in the world, I, I think I think this is certainly on a par with 1968. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, for one, and I, I, I as a general philosophy of life, I, I don't wish away time. Time is too precious. I, I, I love to enjoy stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. Every once in a while, you, you have these years that you just want to put in the rearview mirror. And i got to tell you, um, 2020, just for the universal thing, 2020 is shaping up as one of those years. And actually, if you look at all the stuff that's going on in the world, I think you probably do. you, you got to go back maybe 2001 with the terrorist attacks, um, 1968 with all the unrest. But it, it's definitely, in my lifetime at least, it's one of the very worst years. Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah, I, I was actually a hippie in 68 against the war, and uh, I was never against the people of fighting it. They were in the draft. They didn't have a choice, you know. I've got my best friend got PTSD. I heard his sponsor to go to the honor flight. But uh, at the same time, what I see happening now is an excuse for in I mean, basically, people don't see it as much, I don't think, especially the young kids. They don't see it ripping the, the, the inside of our nation apart. This is not coming from outside. This is not mm-hmm. something that we are instigating. This is something that's being instigated, and they don't see it as, as that. You know, what happened to the, who cares about the family of, of the poor uh, family of the guy that, that that died? You know, I mean, you don't hear that. You hear more about, let's go out and lie. And I got both my boys, and one of them, goes out and I don't even know if I should have, you know, have him come home because he's in a group of people I'm 70 years old, my wife's 80, you know, yeah. should he come home, should we let him home you know, yeah. well uh, I gotta let you go so I'm I kind see, of up against, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm kind of up against the clock, I apologize, I've got a bottom of the hour news coming up, I I mean there's all these different factors that are going on and it, it's not just the events of the last two weeks it's the events of the last several months then you cap you, you've, the fact that you've got, as I was saying earlier, you've got this incredible unemployment that's there. Uh, you know that this, suddenly, you know, you have all sorts of people. I mean, millions of Americans who all of a sudden, you know, probably in February thought my job is secure. I am set with this. 
uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're thrown into that degree of uncertainty, plus you've got the concerns about, gee, is somebody going to get sick? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to get somebody who's very vulnerable sick? It, it's been just a heck of a year. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text, li- year, text Line. Is this the worst year that you can remember? We continue the conversation in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Story in the Wall Street Journal today, I've never been so afraid for America. The pandemic, the racial crisis, the recession, it's enough to make 2020 surpass 1968. For people who might not have been around then, 68 was kind of a seminal year in American history. You had the, the war in Vietnam that was raging. You had Lyndon Johnson, who was the, the president, who ended up deciding he wasn't going to run for re-election. You had all the turmoil at the Democratic National Convention in the streets of Chicago. Um, you had Richard Nixon. You had George Wallace, who was running for president on a on, on, a, on a ticket of, uh, essentially, he was the segregationist guy who was running on his own law and order campaign. And, again, you had the, the underpinnings of the draft, the Vietnam War, and just, it was just, it was a year. Plus, you had all the, the whole situation of, you, you had the, the death of Martin Luther King. You had the, the death of Bobby Kennedy. You, you had racial unrest. Um, it was just... It was one of those years that you look back and you say, oh, there, a lot of stuff happened, and it was a year America in some respects changed and in other respects didn't. But I, I think, I think you've got to go back to 1968 to get, to get the parallels with this year because you've got the, the same – you've got continuing tension, um, racial tension – societal tension in general you've got the pandemic that's come in here you've got the incredible loss of of jobs all that and you've got a very very divided electorate Um, 855-616-1620 i'm with you jeff i'm 37 but i often remind myself not to wish time away but it would be nice to hug my parents or go see my friends without a care hoping we can do these soon um jeff is this the worst year ever? Selfishly, I have enjoyed um, being at home with my husband, getting things done and creating new routines, healthy eating and exercising. That's just a consequence of big, huge problems we have in the country and worldwide. I'm horribly afraid for everybody's mental and physical health in a pandemic or racism or brutality. It has been the most difficult year for safety, but also the most thought-provoking and soul-searching year I have ever spent. Um, let's see, Jeff. The best thing about 2020 was the sub-dollar gas prices. Well, that, that's true. That's, that's finding a silver lining in a very dark cloud. Um, Jeff, conditions in our country are now very similar, similar to those of the 1917 Russian Revolution and the 2011 Arab Spring. Hmm. I don't know. But, I mean, it's clearly, clearly it's, it's tough, and there's a lot of people that are stressed out. Um, Jeff, it's not the worst year. I'm lucky enough to be still working in a challenging job every day. Um, you know, I and, and that's and I guess when I'm talking about this, there we have all undoubtedly had years where, on a personal level, 
it was it was really bad. Maybe you've lost somebody extremely close to you, and you're like, oh my gosh, this has just been a terrible thing. Maybe it was a particular year that you 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 know you you lost a job or something like that. So there's always going to be on an individual level. There's going to be years that that they're bad. But I'm telling you, this one, big picture, very very bad. Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. How's it going? Good. What do you think? Hello? Worst year ever. Yeah, first year ever. Um, I was very young in '68, so um, it's you know very bits and pieces. I don't know what I remember, whether it's something I saw on TV later or at the time, but I think it's the worst for sure, the worst year since 1968. And as I said when I called, uh, probably even worse because of the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's yeah. It, it's not just the political issues. It's not just the, the the racial tension. It's just not. It's not just the societal tension. Now you've got the whole. You got the recession. You've got the unexpected unemployment levels, and you've got this fact that people are still afraid that they're going to catch some virus and get really sick or die. Yeah. You you put all that together, and the stress level for most people. It's. I'm telling you, it's about a ten on a scale of one to eight. Yeah, I I agree. It's um. I think it's worse than 68. Now, like I said, I was extremely young, so obviously it didn't affect me the same. Um, but I know certainly in being, since being an adult, this is the worst year, without a doubt. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Jeff, I was 15 and 68. It was a very tough year. 2020 has another seven months to go, but I think it's certainly on a pace to um, surpass 1968. Jeff, this is worse than 2008 and many other years that were bad. 2008, of course, being the the banks too big to fail and, and the Great Recession. And, and yeah, that, that was a very bad year as well. But that that was a, a year that the economy took took the took a dump. You didn't necessarily have the worldwide concerns about you know COVID-19 and all those other things that were, were going on. This year, it just kind of seems like everything has come to a head. Jeff, I was born in 74. You might be right about 68, but this year is definitely the craziest of my lifetime. Jeff, 2020, definitely the worst year. I was 5 and 68, so it's difficult to compare, but 2020 is leaving very little hope. It is hard to be positive during you know these times. Well, um, you know, it, it is. You, you try to look for the silver linings, and, and yeah, uh, Jeff, I lived in L- L.A. through the Rodney King L.A. riots in 92, watching the horror unfold in L.A. now and across the nation makes me incredibly sick and sad. Um, yeah, well, there's, there, there is that. And, of course, you know, there, there have been years where you've had unrest caused by various things. But this year you've got the unrest. And, and actually, I think that's one of the things – that's maybe fueled some of the protests. And, of course, I get there's legitimate outrage, and I'm, I'm not disputing that. But I, I think that the fact that everybody has been cooped up, the fact that everybody is, like I say, that all the nerves are frayed because of what's been going on in the last few months with coronavirus and with the economy and the uncertainty surrounding people's jobs and, and all of that and concerns about the pandemic, all those different things. Plus, you know, you, you turn on the nightly news or you listen to the radio or you turn on TV or you check out the Internet and, and you have an incredibly divided electorate, very, very polarized. And I understand we've had polarized electorates before. I mean, I, I, I don't dispute that at all. But you couple all the, put all stuff that stuff together, and you go, 
man, this has been one heck of a year so far. And by the way, need I mention, we're only five months into it. <laughs> five months and ten days. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six one. Yes, yeah, I can hit mortgage talk and text line. The, the the text line makes me laugh. We get, we we get, I, I get hundreds and hundreds of texts during the course of a show, which I, I appreciate, and I, I read some of them. I, I don't read others, and some, some are very much on point and interesting, and some are just people wanting to rant, and some are, you know, who knows. This, this is my, The question that we were just discussing is, is this the worst year of your lifetime? He says, I don't know about the worst year, but worst show ever. Um, now, if it's directed to me, that, that that's not even close. I, I've, I've done much worse shows than this one. I, I Trust me, I, I know that. And if, if it's the worst show that he's ever listened to on the radio, well, okay, that's that's why the radio has these things called dials. And one dial turns them off, and another dial turns the channel. Worst show ever. Got to love it. Um, all right. The, the, the one thing that has come from all the unrest, we'll use that term, over the course of the last you know eight or nine days is... It has almost completely and totally kicked COVID-19 off of the front pages. Now, remember, before the death in Minneapolis, remember what, what the stories were. The stories were America is starting to reopen. And you have some places like the city of Milwaukee where the mayor is you know, trying to, to stop the city from reopening because he don't, doesn't think it's ready, to other places where it, it, we are starting to reopen and let businesses open up. And you've got the governor of the state of Wisconsin talking about how, well, gee, if, now that, you know, his ability his, to, to issue the safer-at-home order, now that that's gone, you know, it's going to be the wild, wild west. And, of course, he actually turned out to be correct, at least with Madison, not because of COVID-19, but because of all, all the unrest. You know, who, who knew that that would end up being the case? But we haven't been focusing a lot on COVID-19. And if you look at the mass protests, demonstrations, riots, whatever term you want to use that's been going on across this region, across the state, and across the country, what you see is all these rules that we were told about social distancing and wearing masks and things of the like, that, that's gone by the wayside. I, I mean, yeah, yes, do, do people show up at these protests and do some people wear masks? Yes, absolutely, some do, but, but a lot don't. I mean, I see people walking, you know, arm in arm down the street and they're screaming and they're shouting and they're, you know, expelling the droplets that we were told is going to, you know, infect everybody. And so I see large groups of people that are doing that predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly younger people. But you this whole concept of social distancing that was being preached as something that had to happen for the last couple months that's pretty much, it seems to me now, it's kind of out the window, at least among the, the protest crowd. They're, they're close together. They're, again, there's physical contact. There's sometimes masks, sometimes not. In April, we were told, and it turned out to be false, we were told that if you had an election under the, the different rules that we implemented, you would see a huge spike in the number of COVID cases. That, thankfully, it's good news, it didn't happen. The people that were warning about that or predicting that, it was wrong. There wasn't any sort of huge spike that came from the election. But this this now is different because, you know, you, you don't have, you, you don't have, 
poll workers that are there with their, their Lysol sprays sanitizing the polling station after people use it. You don't have people bringing their own pens. You don't have people standing six feet apart for a limited amount of time. I mean, you have people that are just hanging out. They're, they're taking to the streets. They are interacting as if we did not live in a COVID-19 world. 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I guess this is a two-part question that I would like to discuss with you. I, I think it is inevitable that as a result of this, we are going to see another huge spike in the number of coronavirus cases. I mean, if, unless everything that we have been told about social distancing for the last couple months is, is wrong, you know, we're, we should see a huge spike. And I'm, I'm not hoping for that, but we should see a, a huge spike. You, w- you would think because there, there's a lot of these rules, like I say, that are out, out the window. And if we do see a huge spike in the next couple weeks, I, I guess my question is, how do we respond? Do we close down? Do we try to close down the state again if the numbers go up? And if the numbers don't go up, why would that be? And what, why, how could the numbers not go up? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, are our shoulder-to-shoulder crowds after you know months of, of isolation. Is it going to lead to a huge spike? And two weeks from now, will we be looking at that spike? And then what do we do? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will the numbers spike? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. The you know we, We've been told for the last couple months that you, you can't be in large groups because you're going to have this huge spread of COVID-19. Well, we've seen over the last week lots of people in large groups, little or no social distancing. All right. Two weeks from now, are we going to see a large spike? Let's talk to Steve in Wauwatosa. Steve, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I, I really believe with this with this spike will in two weeks, absolutely. I don't see how it couldn't happen. Sad part is I mentioned this to my friends and neighbors, and they laughed me off the planet. So <laughs> I really believe it's going to happen. So, Well, no, th- no thanks for the call. Well, I don't, I mean, I, I, you, would, you would think, I mean, you would think it would have to happen. Ju- and again, I'm not rooting for this. But it's been this has been the thing that has been drilled into us from you know the health experts to the president to the governors to the mayors that you know we, we, we can't have large gatherings and now essentially the the people have decided well we're, we're not going to pay attention to that anymore and you know we're, we're going to go out and we're going to exercise our first amendment right to protest which is all well well and good but I'm just wondering what the the effect is going to be I, I think it's inevitable. If there isn't a spike in a couple weeks, it's going to make me wonder whether all this this stuff we've been told about, you have to avoid mass gatherings, whether or not that's going to turn out to have been inaccurate. Now, I don't think so, because again, the social distancing, to me, that, that, that makes sense. But if there's not a spike, it perhaps tells you that, that we, we've missed the boat on this. Now, the one thing is, what I think is probably going to happen, is that you are going to see a, a spike in the numbers. But, and this is an important but, I, I think as far as maybe the hospitalizations and the deaths and things like that, I don't think you're necessarily going to see an increase because 
one of the things that we have learned over the last couple months, and and I, I believe our knowledge about this has to be evolving, is that the people who suffer the direst consequences are the people that are, are older. If you look at the deaths, it's almost all people who are over 60. And then as you get older, it, it the, the numbers increase. You're more likely to have a bad result if you're 70. You're more likely to have a bad result if you're 80. Then you factor in underlying health medical issues, hypertension, uncontrolled diabetes, obesity, and, and then it becomes an even more toxic situation. Most of the people who are out there protesting, not all, but most of them tend to be younger. At least that's my, my sense of this. Tends to be young people for whom you, you, you catch COVID-19 and you're going to be sick, but you're not going to die. The question is whether the people that catch it because of the protests, whether they go home and they infect other people who are vulnerable, which, which tells me we, we still have to be on our guard. But as far as, I guess, I, I don't see how the numbers can't go up, given the fact that people have made this decision that we're now, we're going to get out. We're going to ignore what the health advice has been over the course of the last couple months. So we're going to get out and do it. Unless that health advice is completely wrong, you know, you, you would expect to see an increase in numbers as a result of the, the daily protests and the, no effort at all being made, in many cases, to, to social distance. Will it result in more hospitalizations? Will it result in more deaths? I don't think so. That's my sense. But the numbers, you would think, again, I'm not rooting for it, but you would think that they would have to go up. And if they don't go up, maybe that's an indication that we can take the shackles off larger gatherings. Maybe that means that we can get a couple hundred people you know, together in parks or on beaches, and we don't need to be as worried about it as maybe we thought we would. Don't know how that's going to play out, but it's going to be something interesting to watch. All right, lots more stuff coming up on today's show. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. I, I will say that one of the upshots of what's happened with all the protests over the last couple weeks, it, it tells me that that people are done with the safer at home now and i and now hear me out on this it's it's i think at least most of us recognize that we we have to be smarter when when we go out and i've been talking about this for a couple months now i I think the idea of i mean for me it's i'm always carrying hand sanitizer and you know after i am in a store or something like that i come back i'm 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 using that i think our our physical contact is is reduced i mean i think it's been a long time before you see widespread shaking of hands and things like that but as far as trying to close down large segments of society. I, I think we're past it. Will it be a time will there be a while perhaps between before businesses bring back full offices? Yes, there there probably will be. My guess is matter of fact I was talking to somebody yesterday who works for whose wife works for a, a very prominent local company. And, you know, they've been working at home for a couple months and he was telling me, you know, she's been told you're not coming back until September. And, and I think there's a lot of a lot of businesses that are looking at that. And, and so, I mean, I, I understand that from that perspective, a lot of employers and all, they're they're not bringing people back right away. So we're, we're not over COVID. But at the same time, I, I think from the perspective of the government trying to order mass shutdowns, that, that's sort of off the table. And you, you kind of lost the moral authority if 
we're now going to say, okay, well, you, you, you can't get people together on the beach. We can encourage them to stay apart, but you can't get people together on the beach, but we're going to let people roam the streets of Milwaukee, you know, shoulder to shoulder. So I, I think that's kind of past. And I also think people are sort of, they're, they're kind of done with it. I think that they appreciate that they need to be smart. I hope they need to be smart and, you know, wear masks. They feel comfortable and they think that that's appropriate. Um, and, and be careful. But the idea to shut down large segments of the economy again, I, I just don't see that happening. And for every time I say that, I get these texts from people saying, oh, so you don't care about people's lives? Uh, you know, you'd rather care about the economy? No, I care about people's lives and health. I also care about the economy. You have to do a balancing of, of risk. It's not, what's that phrase from the elections four years ago, a binary choice? It's not a binary choice. You can care about people's health. You can care about people's lives. And you can also care about the economy and people's ability to make a living and pay their rent. And 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 if you're all on one side or all on the other, you know, you're, you're just, I think you're just missing the point in, in a big way. So I, I think that, you know, one of the things that this protest has probably done is ended the era of we're going to allow the government to have a massive shutdown. Okay. I want to go where angels fear to tread. The I think it is fair to say that President Trump is one of the most divisive presidents in my lifetime. I've been trying to think back. and I, I mean, I, I was just watching this documentary on the History Channel about uh, Grant. And, you know, and Grant was the U.S. general who won the Civil War for the, the North. And, I mean, you know, Abraham Lincoln, who I think recognized in history as one of the greatest American presidents, if not the greatest American president, a very, very divisive time. And, and Lincoln was a very, very polarizing guy. And as a matter of fact, most people think that Lincoln was on track to lose the the re, his reelection effort in 1864. Uh, they they think he was on the verge of losing that, but for the fact that a few weeks ago, there, a few weeks before the election, there were a couple big Union victories. Sherman uh, took Atlanta, and and that that. Uh, brought a lot of people over to Lincoln's side, and he was reelected. But Lincoln was an incredibly polarizing president. There's no question about that. So you have you have that dynamic going on. Um, Lyndon Johnson, an incredibly polarizing president at the end. So there's no question about you know that. So you had all those factors. But let's face it, President Trump is an incredibly polarizing factor in and of himself. And and he in many respects doesn't do anything to kind of soothe the the troubled waters. So the latest incident involving this is what they're describing as the photo op. Um on, on Monday, you will remember you had the president who I think had watched the images of all the protests over the weekend. You had the president who was um, upset with governors, believing that they were weak and not you know, using resources available to them to shut down the looting and stuff. And you had the president who decided that he was going to, after giving a speech in the Rose Garden, he was going to walk across the street and, and go over to um, Lafayette, cross Lafayette Square to a church that was damaged by fire the night before. And what had happened is immediately preceding that, you had a situation where, because of, depending on who you listen to, either threats to the police um, or a desire to clear it out so President Trump could go across for this disappearance. You know, you had the police, the tear-gassed protesters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So in any event, um, the, the decision to leave the White House to go across Lafayette Square and to show up at that church, has it, it's really 
it, it's generated a huge controversy in and of itself. There's some people who say it was completely inappropriate for the president to do this. He took a bad situation and made it worse. Other people are saying this was a show of force and control by the president. He should be commended. All right, let us go where angels fear to tread. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Should the president just have stayed in the White House? Did he make matters worse by deciding that he was going to leave the White House, head across Lafayette Square, and do the appearance in front of the burned-out church? Was that was that a wise decision? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk or text line. Why or why not? Back with more in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is it is occupying. If you if you read the Washington Post, and I read the Washington Post, so you don't have to. I, I swear to God, between the Washington Post today and the New York Times. Three quarters of the stories are based on, in part, on on President Trump's decision on Monday to leave the White House, go across Lafayette Square, and and pose for and 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 pose in front of the church. There, people are describing it as a photo op, etc. To do that. You know, there, there was tear gas. Now, some people are saying that the tear gas was unrelated to the president's desire to do this, um, that, in fact, that the crowd was starting to get rowdy and they decided to disperse them. Others are saying, no, they had to clear out the crowd so the president could do that. Regardless, all right, did the president do the right thing by leaving the White House on Monday? Let's start with Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm admittedly not, not a fan of the president, um, but I try to be, you know, objective when, you know, judging him. I think that, that, that he, he's terrible at these type of things. I think that he should have just stayed in the White House. Um, the one thing that I hoped out of him was, is that he would surround himself with, like, quote-unquote, smart individuals and people that know how to, how to maneuver these, but obviously his, you know, in my, at least in my opinion, his ego won't allow him to, and so he can't, he can't resist wanting to be in the spotlight. And as a Christian, I, I hate the – I mean, I get all the other issues that are going on. I hate the, I hated the whole posing with the Bible thing. I thought yeah. it was, it was a, a photo op and a mockery. But I wish he would just well, be quiet sometime. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess – I'm not – I don't have the outrage that some people have, but to your point, and, and I agree, sometimes you have to be able to kind of like read the room. <laughs> and, and I'm you know, right. the, the idea that I'm going to go – you know, earlier the, the weekend, I, I'm in my bunker while all this stuff is going on. I thought some of the president's remarks about, you know, that the need for, you know, an aggressive response was appropriate. His remarks about, you know, when right. the looting starts, the shooting starts, I think was way over the top. And I'm with you. I Agreed. think, you know, what, what you know, the, the sight of the president of the United States crossing this park and, and, you know, immediately preceded by a bunch of tear gas on protesters and stuff. I just thought it was bad optics. It was if it was a hope for a photo opportunity, I don't think it worked out like he hoped it was going to. Right. And moving and moving forward, and if we have to do another four years of the president, I hope that he can get handlers that can, you know, even though I don't think he'll listen, but I'm hoping that he'll get handlers that at least for the sake of sanity, because obviously this, these stories create more chaos than yes. you know, the real stories, in my opinion. No, thanks for calling, uh, Lamar. I, I, I see. I agree. I've been saying that for years, and I understand 
whenever I go down this route, I some of my my friends who are, are very very pro Trump think, oh, you're you know you're a Biden lover. I'm not. And people who and, and again when I support the things the president does, I, I get the, the I get the flack from the other side. And that's okay. It's I, I try to have some nuance and see things. This I, I think in many respects, President Trump has in many cases been his own worst enemy over the course of the last few years by his inability to to stay off Twitter, his inability to resist the urge to to punch down and to to to, to pick and or get into fights that you know that, that are pointless i mean the, the the thing last week was that with joe scarborough you know the msnbc host I, who cares about joe scarborough you're the president of the united states and you know you get involved in in you know passing on something some rumor about some woman that died in joe scarborough's office 20 some years ago and you know causing all sorts of pain on her family and her her you know, surviving spouse, and it's just for, for what purpose? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of that stuff and, and a lot of the tweets and things like that have gotten in the way and have deflected, have made it more difficult for at least some people to see the, the credit I think President Trump deserved for some of the stuff that he had done he had done good, that he had done well. And that's why, I mean, early on in his presidency, I think somebody, I don't know who that would have been, would have been well served by saying, for the next four years, sir, we're taking your phone. Jane, uh, Jane, Sue in Janesville. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes. First of all, you just talked about Abraham Lincoln. And the first thing that I thought of the other night, Abraham Lincoln, you can check Wikipedia, used to come regularly into St. John's, sit in the rear you to quietly pray there's a little window there i have a picture of it i've been in there a couple of times maybe you have to mm-hmm. that yes. is the kind of president we need we do not need 2020 has been chaotic enough we do not need a president who wants to draw attention constantly to himself that is not at all benefiting him or the country we need at this chaotic year a president who doesn't operate in chaos but operates on some soothing being a comforter in chief he is not mm-hmm. that he is incapable of it as a republican i have had enough of him you think he's going to win? You think he's going? To, no, 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 we put a nickel in you. That's okay. Do you, do you think he's going to get reelected? I hope not. As a Republican, I hope not. He okay. creates too much chaos in the office, and and that is part of it. And then yesterday, wasn't he also at the Pope John Paul Memorial? I mean, what is he doing that for, other than to create a photo op? Yeah, and it, of course that that appearance generated a, a furious response from mm-hmm. the Archbishop yeah. of Washington, and it's just it's, it's one of these yeah it's one of these things. He never where knows just, when to stop. He just has no sense of the situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you, th- no, thanks for the call. So I mean that this is what we were talking about earlier about the ability to read the room. I um I, I just the the image of. I mean, the image of, and whether it's fair or not, and I understand that, but the image of people being tear gassed and then, and I mean, I think there's a space for, sometimes you have to use tear gas. Okay, so I'm, I, that's not, that, that's not, if people are being unruly and you've got to control crowds, sometimes you have to use that. But the idea of, and even the implication that, okay, people were tear gassed so you can clear out this way so the president can walk across the park to appear with the Bible in his hand, I, I just, I thought it was, again, it was kind of bad optics. I think, matter of fact, I, I, I listened to the president's Rose Garden statement and with the exception, and, and this is, of course, and it's funny, when I, I, I thought he struck a really good note in his remarks, um, with the 
exception of when he talked about, you know, I've got, I'm ready to call out the military. Because I, I knew, I said, matter of fact, I said to my wife, I said, the minute he said that, that's what the story is going to be, you know, the threatening to use the military. And, and all the other stuff he said ended up getting lost in, in that. But I thought, you know, taking away the military stuff, the use of going to bring in the army or whatever to restore order, taking that away. I mean, I, I thought it was I thought it was a good speech, and then, you know, that all gets stepped on later on. Let's talk to Mike in Georgia. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Mike? Hi, Mike. Oh, we lost Mike. Tom in Menominee Falls. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. First of all, I want to commend you for taking this brave uh, stance here because you speak 100% to where I'm coming from. I think it was a, a, a gross miscalculation on the part of President Trump to do that. And I'm going to call it just what it was, a photo op. Um, I found it to be very, very disingenuous. And as a Christian, I was, uh, quite frankly, insulted by him sitting there holding up the Bible. Uh, yeah. as, as you pointed out, President Trump is his own worst enemy. And it's funny that you should bring up Abraham Lincoln, because uh, if you haven't researched it, there's a pack out there now called the Lincoln Project. And this is not right. a group of Democrats. It's not a group of liberals. It is a group of Republicans who do not want to see Donald Trump reelected. So it's, it's a very scary time because... Uh, we could end up losing the White House. We could end up losing the White House and the Senate. And uh, if that happens, uh, I, I feel for this country. I really do. Um, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with the Lincoln Project. If you've been watching television lately, and I forget what I was watching last night. Um, I don't know if it was the news or whether I was watching Deadliest Catch on the History Channel or on Discovery Channel or whatever. Whatever I was, I was watching. I, I was seeing a number of ads. There's an ad they're running now that shows the use of the Confederate. It's a Confederate flag, and then it quotes President Trump after some of the incidents in Virginia a couple of years ago as as not not being appropriately, I guess at least in the in, at least not dealing with and condemning some of the stuff that went on a couple of years ago in Virginia. But you're right, it's run by, this is this is a group of disaffected Republicans. I guess, I, I just, again, I, I look at this and I thought, I, I just, I, I think it was bad optics. I, I don't know if it was evil intent. And I, I do think it's perfectly appropriate, for example, for a president to go out and, and, and survey damage. I mean, there, there's, there, you know, if, if you, you know, wanted to do a, a tour of, of Washington, D.C., seeing the damage that was caused by the looters, the rioters, the arsonists, you know, in, in conjunction with the various protests that went on, I, I think that would be... I think that would be appropriate, and that's not necessarily unusual um, to to do that. Um, if you want to go out and you want to meet with protesters, you know, there's a, a very famous thing going back to um, the, the shootings at Kent State. You know, after that happened, President Nixon went out one night and and had actually went to the Lincoln. I'm pretty sure it was the Lincoln Memorial, and and ended up actually talking to a, a group of of the protesters. And so, if you you know, if you want to interact in that fashion. I think 
you know, it, it can be appropriate and it can be done right. The the images of the tear gas, and you got you got to know that that was was going to happen. The images of of the tear gas, and then uh, again, you know, standing in front of the burned out building. I, I thought it was again bad optics. Um, I, it could have been handled in a different fashion. Whether it deserves all the outrage it's getting, I, I don't know. But I think President Trump would have been better off just kind of hanging out in the Rose Garden. Or if you wanted to look at the damage, go go you know tour the city. You know, pick three or four of the different spots. You know to go look at and see what the, what the damage was caused by the people who weren't engaged in peaceful protest. That, I think, would have been less controversial than the appearance at the church. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.